Welcome to BD4, an RJ Carbone podcast. BD4, where there is no better way to get your Yankees and Knicks analysis. We also do MMA. Yanks every series, Knicks every game, MMA on occasion. BD4 is a five-star show on Apple Podcasts, also available in video format on YouTube and Spotify. So thanks for stopping by, and we hope you enjoy the show. Champion of the world, turning, looking, see ya! Anthony for three, bang! That one goes down, and the game is tied! Time! Penetrates, creates, and showing some dexterity as well with the left hand. Alright, that's two. Fucking that is two. Wow, that was crazy. See, the, the, how, the, how this shit can just change within the snap of a finger is nuts. Breen was talking about it after game one. The series, the, a playoff series, man, takes you to a range of emotions. What a win last night. Now, I was at Yankee Stadium. Last night, welcome to episode 512, by the way. We're getting right into it. It's going to be a shorter one because I'm tired. It's late, and I am not getting around to record this when I want. Um, This will be out Sunday morning, and the game's Sunday at 1 p.m. So, But, man, I was at Yankee Stadium on Friday night, 7 p.m. game against Toronto. Went there for, for my birthday, and... The Nick game started at 8.30. So by the time 8.30 rolls around, I get my phone out. And fortunately, the Yankee game is a blowout. Not in the Yankees' favor, unfortunately. But it's a blowout, so I'm able to focus on watching the Knicks. And I was just watching the Knicks the rest of the way. At the game, walking out the stadium. um, On the way home in the car ride home. And I am just flipping out. Just... Just, just, it's, I'm watching this on my phone with loud human beings around me. And I could tell, I could tell just by that, how electric Madison Square Garden sounded. I can only imagine being in Manhattan that night at the Garden for that game. It was a sold out crowd, um... It was even crazier than, I would imagine, I should say, it was even crazier than the playoff um, game that the Knicks had at the Garden a couple years ago because that was you know right during COVID. Not everybody was comfortable going out there. They said this was the first sold-out Nick playoff game since 2013. So, I mean, they've only been there twice since anyway, but... That's just, yeah, I mean, that's not a shocker, man. Madison Square Garden, in my opinion, is the craziest place to host a sporting event. Um, boxing, the Knicks, the Rangers, like, it gets it gets nuts during Knicks playoff games, though. I've been there, fortunately, in 2013. I went to Boston. Mello dropped 36 or something like that in Game 3. It gets insane. 
Nothing like I've seen before. Even louder than anything I've been to before. It's right up there with Yankee Stadium during the playoff time. Maybe gave, even giving the Garden the slight edge. Because I've I've experienced both. And I, although it's only been one game for me at the Garden in a playoff series, I will never forget that moment in my life. And I can only imagine I've had a friend or... I've, I had two friends go to this game... I can only imagine how insane it was at Madison Square Garden, 8.30 on Friday night. It's it's the streets of New York went nuts. It, they they went nuts after the game. The You know, the Bing Bong guy returned, the KD guy returned. You know, guys are climbing street poles again on top of fucking traffic lights and shit. The streets of Manhattan were packed. There are videos of it online. There are non-Knicks fan NBA fans getting offended that Knicks fans are having such a good time. It's awesome. Um, yeah, it, it's really really cool stuff. And you know, if you're if you're mad or if you're trying to criticize Knicks fans for getting excited, that is the most bullshit beta energy you could have. Like, let the fans be excited, bro. The Knicks haven't been. They're they're finally getting back on top to where they should be. The NBA is such a better place when the Knicks are winning. The Knicks are a great team now. They're a very solid team, I should say. And let the fans be happy. You're in a playoff series. It's not like the New York Knicks are going out there celebrating, shooting champagne in the air. No, the Knicks fans can be as excited as they want because it's a lose-lose for us. If the streets were empty and you know we were just like, oh great, they won, you guys would be shitting on the Knicks and their fan base, being like, oh they're they're boring, nobody cares about the Knicks. See, no, we're gonna go nuts because we give a shit about our team because we're passionate. I'm sorry, your bullshit, shitty, crappy, small market, burgundy ass team in Cleveland doesn't get that same energy, but the Knicks fans have that different type of energy than your garbage franchise does. So the Knicks win game three. Um, and the Garden was electric. Derrick Rose chance at the end. That was awesome. He had the little uh, flash, the I should say like a throwback lob to Obi. Remnants of the COVID season a couple years ago. Jeffries checks into the game late. That was the ultimate disrespectful move by Thibodeau, and I loved it. Um, yeah, great game. 99-79 to 79 was the final. This was the first time an NBA team held their opponent to below 80 points all season. So, the Knicks did that to the Cavs. Um, sorry. I also think I heard that this was the first time the Cavs lost a game by 20 or more points. Awesome. And it's good to see the Knicks respond. Losing by 17. Respond to that by winning... By 20. Fuck the Cavs. I hate them. Talked about it last time. Both teams, you know, but there's not much of a recap. I'm not even going to recap it because this is going to be a short one. Just going to mention a few talking points, a few things I liked, then I'll be that. But both teams were bricking out the gate the entire first half. I mean, it was like 30 something to 30 something at the end of the first half. Quickly was, uh, you know, he quickly turns it over out of bounds at the end of the second quarter. There, Donovan Mitchell then misses an open three pointer. 
Knicks get the ball. Randall drives middle, kicks it to quickly for a three-pointer. He knocks it down, swish, puts the Knicks up 11 points. The next time down, the Knicks get a steal, run the fast break, quickly finds RJ for a dunk, and the Knicks are up 13 points at halftime. The Knicks end up pulling away late third quarter, and they stomp on Cleveland's throats in the fourth quarter. Beautiful to see. Beautiful to see that loser, Darius Garland, shoot a tour date, going 4 for 21 in the game. Also hurt his little ankle. Poor guy. Hope you're okay, D. The Knicks win. The Cavs don't win. The Cavs lose. They get beat up, bitched, and handled. And the Knicks win behind solid games from Brunson and RJ. Solid games. And a 3-for-15 shooting night for Randall. But they still win. Randall in the playoffs is is just... uh, The guy's a fucking joke. But hey, we gotta figure out a way to get him going. He's gotta figure out a way to get himself going. But the first thing I'm pointing out is is the difference in the way the Knicks ran offense on Friday night. I noticed right from the start, they were constantly throughout the night, through each quarter, first, second, third, fourth, all night, the Knicks were running those guard-to-guard screen and rolls. You saw that throughout the entire night. You had quickly screening for Brunson in the second quarter multiple times, resulting in some beautiful offense. He left, you know, it, it had Randall open in the corner. Cleveland left Hartenstein open under the basket, trying to help on those screens up top. Just, it just, those guard to guard screens open up so much spacing for the Knicks, helping them generate efficient offense. Third quarter, a couple times Josh Hart coming up to set screens for Brunson. You got Cleveland switching Donovan Mitchell more in the second half of this game. And when that happened, of course Brunson took care of him and attacked the switch. And then they just kept going back to it. Two guards up top of the action, too high, too high, too high every time. Too high, two corners spotting up spacing out the floor, and then you're big in the dunker spot. And every single time, Cleveland just had no answer for it. And that was how Jalen Brunson had such a great game. It really helped Jalen Brunson thrive in this game. It was all about creating space for Brunson, which was his biggest issue in Game 2. And Brunson's, you know, his ISO game was working too. Like, there were times when the Knicks wanted to avoid the trap so they didn't bring a screener into the action. There was maybe a moment, third quarter, I think it was. Brunson's coming up the floor with RJ and with Mitch. And you see RJ direct Mitch to go down to, to the down to the block to clear out so Brunson could isolate Osman, get him on an island. Um... It was much better offense. I know the, the 99 points, whatever, but the process was much better. It just came down to missing open shots. The process was there. The off the ball, the body movement was there. Great to see that make a return because Lord knows there was none of that in game two. So that was an adjustment by Tibbs. Right out the gate. 
the Knicks running action with Brunson coming off a Randall screen into a DHO with Mitchell Robinson. Julius pops to the top. Brunson kicks to Julius. He misses. But the good thing was that Jared Allen was up top involved in the play. So by the time he recovered back down below, Mitchell Robinson had him boxed out. Um, But Jalen Brunson was terrific. 21 points, 6 assists, 2 steals, 10 of 18 shooting. This kid has mastered the mid-range game. Mid-range and in. He's just perfect. Flawless. The footwork is unbelievable. I'm in awe every time I see him work his magic. Incredible footwork to be able to stop, pivot, and find a find a way to angle himself a good look. But he's really mastered the art of the mid-range shot. The 15-foot free-throw line jumpers, the 10-foot area, those floaters near the restricted area. He is a master once he gets inside that three-point line. He finished the game 10 of 14 inside the arc. So that should tell you all you need to know. He's an elite bucket getter. An elite ISO bucket getter. I mean, he hunted Mitchell like food. Every time down. Every time that Mitchell switched on to Brunson, most of that came in the second half. He took advantage of it. You had Cleveland so concerned about that matchup that they're bringing help up from the back line and Jared Allen. They're getting Garland to stunt off his man and onto Brunson. It's really fun shit to watch. He makes such an impact on on Donovan Mitchell. How shit of a defender Donovan Mitchell is comboed with how good of an ISO scorer Jalen Brunson is is pretty funny. Um, And Brunson started this game out shooting pretty poorly. As did everybody, but Brunson missed four of his first five. Then he gets hot. And he makes 9 of his next 13. So he was phenomenal. R.J. Barrett was the only one who was phenomenal from the start. He set the tone. That's why he gets the game ball tonight. R.J. Barrett set the tone in this game. 19 points, 8 boards, 3 assists. Um, With everybody building brick mansions in the first quarter, that three-pointer that RJ knocked down felt like the biggest shot of the season. I don't know if it was, but that feeling you got when it dropped, you'd only know it if you're a Knicks fan rooting for your team. It, it, it like, so many emotions. Like, a breath of fresh air. Like, um, like motivation. Like, let's go. Let's fucking do this. It just, like a thunderbolt just went through me and I was ready. And listen, everyone doubted RJ, including me. I called him unplayable in, after game two. But I'm happy to see it. I'm not rooting against him. Good for him. He had a great game. He shot the ball well from three, three out of six. He was also getting to the basket, using his size and, and killing it in transition in the full court. Um... Constantly leading the Knicks on the fast break. I loved that possession from RJ. Hold on one sec. Let me fix this camera. I loved that possession from RJ. In um, it was maybe the second quarter of the game where he absolutely 
bodies Darius Garland, powers through him on his way to the basket. And that's something he's going to have to do more this series. When he's got Garland on him, when he's got Donovan Mitchell on him in half court. Take him to the rack. But what I loved most about RJ in last night's game was his passing. I don't care about the assist numbers. He had three. Watch the damn film back if you need to. He passed the ball. It's RJ Barrett using his brain and knowing what his best skill sets are and knowing what helps this team. Making just great passes. A pass to a pass, a pass to a miss, a pass to a make. Whatever it was, his passing was on point. He got into the paint and made the simple reads. Constantly making the right move, the right decision on Friday night. Making the right pass. When he came off a drive, arrived at the rim, and if the shot wasn't there at the rim, instead of kind of turning back and taking that little inefficient fallback jumper, he's passing out of it. I heard the perfect way to describe it on a podcast the other night after the game. Understanding his limitations. Right? Knowing what he's not been great at. And adjusting to that. And going a different route. Doing something different. So I thought understanding his limitations. I think that's the perfect way to put it. Um, Making good reads. Like I said, you had Cleveland a few times. Giving R.J. Barrett the right side. And so instead of trying to force his way left. Because that's the side he's most comfortable with. And just taking way too much energy and time off the shot clock. If Cleveland gave R.J. the right side. He used it to collapse the defense. And he kicked it out to the weak side. Saw that in the second half. So I thought R.J. Barrett was exceptional and absolutely deserves to get the game ball. Um, How about the defense? I mean, the defense in this game held Cleveland to 79 points. Early on, yes, the Knicks were very sloppy, leaving their feet on closeouts. Now they're making very aggressive, very hard closeouts, so that's going to happen. But they ended up really improving as the game went on. I know the Cavs missed a ton of good looks, but in the second half, the Nick defense was really sharp and on point. Mitchell Robinson's defense this series has been nothing short of excellent. His pick-and-roll defense in this game was really good. I thought the Knicks' back line was great overall. Mitchell Robinson, Isaiah Hartenstein, both great in the back line. In the half court, the Knicks are out there with the same plan once again. They were helping strong side off of poor shooters in order to stop Mitchell, Garland, both of them in penetration. And it worked. And as long as J.B. Bickerstaff keeps going back to those Ricky Rubio lineups, that shit's fine with me. You had in the second quarter, Emmanuel quickly is out there helping off Rubio completely and loading onto Mitchell. In the third quarter, Josh Hart doing the same thing. He's helping at the nail with Rubio being completely ignored as a non-threat. So to me, it's going to be super important tomorrow, and the rest of the series for that matter, that the Knicks take advantage of those lineups. Stunt off of those guys. 
full out help off the perimeter and commit to the lane. Anything to bring that help defender into the action when guys like Rubio or Mobley are in the corners or on the wings. Randall helping off of Mobley to stop penetration in the left lane. You saw that. It's going to be important. And the Knicks have done a really good job of that, especially in the first two games, or or in game one and game three. Um, They probably done it, did a pretty decent job of it in game two. It's just you don't remember it as much because everybody tried to wash that game out of their brains. But, yeah, the defense has been great. Speaking of the defense, the bench, really impressive because they've been leading the Knicks into their offense with their defense. The Knicks half-court offense this entire series, they haven't played good half-court offense. It's been their full-court game. The Knicks forced 20 turnovers last night, and they scored 28 points off those turnovers. When Josh Hart and Obi Toppin are out there running the full-court game the same time, it is epic stuff. I love it because the Knicks bench brings this completely different dynamic. It's a 180 that the first unit brings, right? The bench brings that full court style of ball, the West Coast basketball style. The starters, they bring that half court ISO ball with Brunson and Randall. So it keeps the defense off balance and having to keep readjusting so constantly. And I think the Knicks are playing that well. Um, so we're just running through shit here. I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm gonna finish this up right now. Um, but some other great contributions. Josh Hart. Josh Hart gets the game ball off the bench for sure. Bing, bang. 13 points, 6 rebounds, 2 steals, 80%, 100% the free, at the 3-point line, 3 out of 4 in his free throws, 29 minutes of action. I think he played the entire second half. Um, obviously, once garbage time came, he checked out. But th- w- what else is there to say about Josh Hart? He plays so well in his role. Um... Like I've said, since Josh Hart has come here, if Jalen Brunson is an A player, Josh Hart's no worse than an A minus player. Like he's right there with him. He's been that much of an impact player for the Knicks, and I'm so excited to see him uh, play tomorrow <clears throat> tomorrow afternoon because um, I-, I think he's a player who I don't know what the splits say, but I'm pretty sure he thrives at Madison Square Garden. Um, Played great in his first home game at the Garden last night. And I think he's going to do even better on Sunday. Um, so I, I thought Josh Hart deserved the game ball off the bench. Mitchell Robinson also had a good game. He, he was great on the offensive glass. The guy gets in position, hustles to the ball. He's been boxing out exceptionally, especially last night which is impressive considering it's Jared Allen out there opposing him. Um, Again, his defense has been great. Obi Toppin, his defense last night wasn't great, but he's given the Knicks some very good productive minutes this playoffs. And I don't think any of us saw that coming. I didn't think he'd be seeing meaningful meaningful action. I I thought he'd be getting the Derrick Rose, Daquan Jeffries treatment. But he's out there contributing in big spots of the game. Knocking down those um, open three-point looks. Attacking closeouts, getting to the basket. Made an excellent pass last night to Isaiah Hartenstein. And like I said, he's been playing that fast break game with Josh Hart. Manuel quickly 
man, did we need that bounce back. Thank God we got it. It was good to see. It was refreshing. He was able to get to his spots again. Finding the lanes. Knocking down the three. The defense was very good, especially on Karis LeVert. He was a pain in the ass in the third quarter. Um, but I thought Emmanuel quickly held his own when he was on to LeVert. And again, he played a big part offensively, not just because, because quickly scored, but the screening, the screening on Quickly's end was spectacular. Those guard-guard screens were the reason the Knicks were able to generate efficient offense. Uh, and last but not least, Quentin Grimes left the game with the shoulder issue. Contused right shoulder, I think it was. Questionable tomorrow. Um, need this guy healthy and contributing. He hasn't done much yet. He's been very quiet. Um, you know, I think the Knicks are able to win without him, but if he if he does play, they need to find a way to get him involved, man. I think if you feature Quentin Grimes, that's only a positive. He's just got to knock him down. He's been inconsistent all year, but it's unfortunate because he finished the season on such a high note that you hate to see him throw up three complete duds so far in the playoffs. But but that's it. Um, that's all I have for this episode. The Knicks take control in Game 3. We're going to end it here. We will end it here at 25 minutes. Um, you know, We'll get to our final break, get back, and then wrap it up with our trivia, and that's that. Stay with us. Be right there. Hey guys, so if you are a listener of the podcast often and you want to know where to find me on social media, you can find me on Facebook at BD4. You can find me on Twitter at BD4Pod. And you can also find me on Instagram at Rob J. Carbone. BD4 is located on many different platforms. You can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And if you do there, be sure to give us a five-star rating and review. You can listen to it on Spotify, but you can also watch the podcast on both Spotify and YouTube. BD4 is available on many other platforms as well. All you got to do is search it up. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and much more. We also have a website now for BD4. If you go to BD4blog.com, you can find the blog, the podcast links, and also where to find me on social media. Just go to BD4blog.com. Studio 69 Productions is a podcast production agency created by Leo Rodriguez to allow content creators to market their podcast. It's an online platform that will market your podcast or any other project that you're working on. Get in touch with Leo Rodriguez from Studio 69 Productions. You can find Studio 69 Productions on Instagram at Studio69NJ. Studio 69 Productions, where dreams are heard and born. All right, welcome back to the show. Welcome. Episode 512 of the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to BD4. BD4 episode 512 brought to you by Anchor. We're going to wrap this up right here with our trivia question of the day, and that'll be that. Let's get to it. So for this episode, our 
NYY, NYK, MMA trivia question of the day is true or false? Last night, the Knicks became the first team this season to hold their opponent below 80 points. Now, your hint is I already said it in this episode. So, uh, True or false, last night the Knicks became the first team this season to hold their opponent below 80 points. So, if you were paying attention, you'll get this one correct. And that's it. That's all I've got. I appreciate you tuning in. Episode 512 is in the books. I'm your host, RJ. The Knicks win 99-79. They take control of the series in Game 3. Now up 2-1, to one, heading into another home game at the Garden tomorrow afternoon. This would be huge. If the Knicks can come out and take this game, they have a chance. To, they, 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 that's true damage to Cleveland. That's some damage right there. They have a chance to do some real damage tomorrow afternoon. They can do it if they can go up 3-1 here. Um, I don't think they will. I think this series is going 7, and I think it's going to be alternate 1-1-1-1-1. One, 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 one. I really do. Um, I think the loser usually makes adjustments and come ba- comes back a little stronger than the winner does every game. It's been the pattern so far. You know, the Knicks win the first game. Cleveland answers back strong. Game goes back to uh, the series, comes back to New York. The Knicks answer back strong. Um, but man, if, if, if they can take this game, if the Knicks take the Sunday matinee game, which I have a feeling those Sunday matinee games are, aren't usually good for the Knicks, but if the Knicks take the Sunday matinee game, I think they can take the series. And I think they can do it in less than seven games. If the Knicks don't take tomorrow night, this is my little fun prediction take, whatever. If the Knicks don't take the game tomorrow, I think it's going seven. And uh, I'm going to give the edge to Cleveland. But if the Knicks do take it tomorrow, I'm giving the edge to the Knicks. And I'm saying it's less than seven. Uh, From the start, before the series began, my my, my thing was, uh, prediction was Knicks and six. So, that's it. Let's go Knicks. Fuck Cleveland. And, um, yeah. Go Knicks. Thanks for checking it out. I'll see you in 513. All right. Later. This episode was brought to you by Anchor.